Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS. And that link will be in the show notes. Excess stress, definitely an issue, but especially that stress response not being turned off. So when the stress response, fight or flight, is triggered, calcium comes into the cell. And if we don't have enough magnesium in there to kick it back out, we stay like this. Stress is the inflammation that robs us of life, energy, and happiness. Our typical solutions for gut health and hormone balance have let a lot of us down. We're over-medicated and underserved. At The Less Stressed Life, we're a community of health-savvy women exploring solutions outside of our traditional Western medicine toolbox and training to raise the bar and change our stories. Each week, our hope is that you leave our sessions inspired to learn, grow, and share these stories to raise the bar in your life and home. Access to functional or specialized medicine testing and standard blood work is a big piece of personalizing care plans to help our clients succeed. But getting accounts with multiple labs and ordering and tracking results from many different web portals slows efficiency by bogging us down in admin work. This is why I'm completely obsessed with our podcast sponsor, Rupa Health. It's a single portal that allows you to order from over 20 specialty labs in one incredibly simple dashboard. I'm talking less than 30 seconds to set up your free account and about 30 seconds to order the labs you need. All the results are in one place and I can securely send clients their results with a click of a button. A big advantage for our clients is that standard blood work can be ordered for almost two thirds less than other direct to consumer lab sites. Rupa is a lab concierge, so they send the lab invoices on your behalf if a client pays for their own labs. They help them get set up with a lab draw, navigate testing questions, and they provide the requisition forms. It's literally a dream. Go sign up for free to help streamline your practice and simplify ordering labs for your clients at rupahealth.com. That's R-U-P-A health.com and let them know I sent you when you sign up. You can also check out the show notes for this episode for a short video walkthrough of how I use Rupa Health in my own practice. If you're one of the many people dealing with food sensitivities or you need to have coffee at 3 p.m., then I want you to know that you have options for minimizing these food sensitivities without excessive restriction and to have more energy throughout the day to do the things that you want to do. Enrollment is open for my program, Food Sensitivity Solutions, and the bonus program for the fatigue fix that comes with it. These programs are a good fit if you want clear validation of the imbalances in your body that aren't showing up on traditional blood work in routine office visits. 
It's for you if you're a smart, health-savvy woman that's doing everything right, but you're still dealing with fatigue and food reactions. And it's also for you if you want a clear plan laid out with a protocol tailored specifically to your lab work. You can learn more and book a call at foodfatiguefix.com. And you can use the code WEBINAR22. That's all capital letters and then the digits just as numbers, webinar 22. If you use that code when you book a call before February 24th, it makes the call free when you book. So again, you can get all the details at foodfatiguefix.com. And I'll talk to you soon. All right. Today on The Less Stress Life, we have Ashley Koff, who I've known for a minute, a couple years, few years. I don't know how the time goes. She is the RD and CEO behind the Better Nutrition Program, which is a unique blend that she has over 20 years as an integrative practitioner with a prior career successfully advertising sugared cereals, hair color, and sundries to the American families. Can't wait to talk about that. After decades helping individuals get and stay healthy, powered by their better nutrition choices, she shifted to helping practitioners deliver personalized recommendations for better patient and business outcomes. Today, she runs the Better Nutrition Program, which we're going to talk a little bit about. And as an accomplished author, speaker, media expert, spokeswoman, and activist, she hosts My Better Nutrition and Alexa Skill. She's a partner at Beyond Brands, a consultant for food and nutrition companies, advisor for Tufts University, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And here's the good part. She's a passionate basketball fan, relearning the trumpet. Thank you very much. And loves outdoor adventures as much as her. She's such a dork in this lovable way. She wrote her espresso CBD coftado. So your cortado, you must put CBD for. So welcome, Ashley. Tell us about (laughs) your special drink in the morning. (laughs) Totally. And I am full on geek, but I'm also like, and my geekiness plays out and like, I just like can't stop, won't stop in terms of marketing. Like it just always happens. So I was like, you know what? I need a drink named after me and nobody... Although there is one place because I used to work with restaurants and that part. So I do have my name on a few menus, but the coftado is like my thing. And so one of our colleagues, her name is Brooke Albert, a great dietitian. She has created this powder called Daily Habit CBD. My comment to her when this all started was she was like, you probably need CBD in your life. I'm like, there's nothing wrong with me. Okay, whatever. And then she was like, everybody needs it can benefit from CBD. You have an endocannabinoid system, et cetera, blah, blah. And I'm like, look, I'll try this out. Like, why not? And it's fluffy and it's made with coconut and it's full spectrum and it's just amazing. And so I literally put it into my cup and I put two, I do two things. And by the way, now I'm only decaf because I learned genetics, caffeine, not Ashley. So I do decaf espresso and my Nespresso, I make the coftado and it's my happy dance. Like I love it. It's my jam. And I learned after having CBD for a couple of weeks, I told her that I didn't know that I actually had a nice person within me and that it was really interesting to just see how like I was really able to hyper-focus. I'm 48 and I run a startup and my days start at 5.30 in the morning and that's my zone of genius. And I'm like, there we go. So it really helps me there. But I also noticed that like at times you know, whether the time of the month or whatever that I am like, I go outside and I'm not, I don't need to like walk across the street and out of concern of what I might say to someone or how I feel. So here I am. I'm a spokesperson for CBD, not paid to do that part, was paid to be a spokesperson for magnesium. We can chat about that. But the coftado, I highly recommend it for anyone. Yes. And we could have almost talked about CBD today. Last week, 
I was, I don't know what day it is. I guess it's a Monday as of this recording. Last week, I was baking myself some hemp flour and making my own CBD for the first time. Mm-hmm. Turns out it was a lot easier than I thought, even though that yeah. stuff sat on my shelf for a month. So another day for CBD. Yeah. So you're wetting our appetite for some of the fun history here, which I can't help myself. I just love the stories. You worked in industry before you got into integrative health. So that was a pretty like massive shift. And I appreciate this. I also did this a little mm-hmm. bit, but not at this level, probably. So tell us about what you were doing in marketing and industry before you got into integrative nutrition and kind of how that shift happened, just so we can catch up on your story, because we don't always get to hear it. Yeah. So first of all, background, I'm a Midwest girl. I was born in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. So that had its own challenges. Like I'm a Wolverine in a Buckeye town. And Columbus, Ohio is famously known for a lot of the fast food places. And I was a child of the 80s. So it was also, you know, we had the Jenny Craigs, we had the Weight Watchers, we had the whatever. And Ashley had a belly that just always was there. And I thought like I had these issues. So I tried different diets. I tried all these different things. And I just thought I was really good at a lot of things, but I was never going to be the tall, skinny, blonde Angela Bauer, who was my hero from Who's the Boss. That's who I wanted to be. And Angela Bauer what worked in advertising. And I don't know if you guys ever watched the show. I'm older, but she went and she went off to work and she came home and then there was hunky Tony Danza at home, right? And so when I learned that Angela Bauer worked in advertising, I literally, like, we only had the four TV show, the, the four networks. We didn't have a remote, whatever. And my mom would come in if I was watching anything and the commercials would come on and I'd be like, mom, I'm not doing something right now. I've got to watch this because someday that I'm going to do that. And so I started at a very young age being like, I'm going to sell ads. And I did that in college. I went to Duke and if you know anything about Duke and UNC, there was no job for me on the Duke newspaper, but I convinced them that I could sell ads to UNC restaurants and bars so that they could in the paper. And so they said, if you can sell them, which nobody's ever done, we'll give you a job. And so I sold them by creating bar events in UNC for kids to come over. So I love to sell stuff. So after college, I had no science. I avoided science drive. My dad's a doctor. I wanted nothing to do with medicine. And I went to New York City and I started a job and my client was Kellogg's. And I started Kellogg's, Clairol, De Beers, Diamonds, you name it. And I got really in depth in that world. And it was disgusting. It was absolutely disgusting. I mean, we were sitting there, first of all, the amount of money that was being paid to quote unquote experts to say like things like, did you know people are stressed out in the morning? I was like, I want to be paid a million dollars to give a presentation that says, you know, people are stressed in the morning. So let's tell them our food will less stress them. But I ended up on a global project for pregnant women and everywhere else in the world, pregnant women were wanting more nutrition. And here we were looking at how can we get them in to eat Pop-Tarts and, you know, do these other things. And it was just like, hey, something isn't resonating. And at the same time, my own health was crumbling. I had panic attacks. I had skin issues. I had addressed my weight issues. It's just all these different things. And I finally found it all just kind of collided, collided into a space of saying like, okay, I'm seeing how marketing is working and I absolutely love it, but I can't deal with what I'm selling to people. And then I ended up on my own journey having somebody, so first recommend that I go on, and I did, a seven-day goat's milk only cleanse because she had pricked my finger. I'm sure under a Fisher-Price microscope, I paid her a lot of money that I didn't have. And she told me I had a worm and that I had to, it would all be better after I drank goat's milk for seven days. So I did all of that. So if you ever think your rock bottom is worse, like I'm just telling you, seven days of goat's milk. (laughs) 
So I've never heard of that, by the way, you know, you've been around the block. You think you've heard it all. Never heard that. No, no. And so lo and behold, I didn't get better. And I went from being a vegan who did yoga every day, trying to heal myself and do this part to back to drinking at a bar as a 22 year old who was just miserable. And I met an integrative gastroenterologist. And when I met her, which was also weird, it was a female. This was like nine meters at the bar. I did. No joke. I was telling a story about my goat's milk cleanse. She's hysterically laughing. She was a friend of someone that we knew from yoga. And she was like, Ashley, were you ever on antibiotics? Like she's asking me this in a bar. And because I was like, there's nothing you can do that's going to help me that I haven't tried before. And Mm. she was like, at probiotics, I didn't even know what a probiotic was. Nobody had ever mentioned it to me. They just told me I was like crazy or I was fine or like any of these things. And so I met with her and, you know, within six weeks, I was not better, but I was so much better than where I had been. And I finally understood what my digestive system needed and also the implications of being, you know, having a childhood, like that my dad and mom gave me, you know, antibiotics as like candy because I had ear infections and throat infections. So she was able to put all that together. And I had this massive light bulb moment where I was like, wow, if I could sell this, like this integrative medicine thing, just think of how many people could get better. And Mm -hmm. so that was, that's how I ended up becoming a dietitian and taking the selling world to, you know, what we're doing on this part today, which I think is really important because it's not just the mastery as if you're a practitioner listening, it's not just the mastery and learning because we love to learn and understanding that, but we've got to be able to I'll use the word. We've got to be able to sell it to our patients and our prospects so they understand why it's different and how it's done differently. That really is all about personalization. And that's what's going to be so important. So that's how I ended up doing everything else that I've done and all of these fun things. So there you go. Thank you so much for allowing me that walk down. A lot of memory lanes there. A lot of stuff. So in your 20s, you went back to school to be a dietitian. Yeah, early 20s. And this is a really fun fact, Judith Light my childhood hero years later, ended up getting to work with her, et cetera. And I told her that I wanted to be her and her, you know, her character really, you know, on that part. And what came back was she was like, I'm really glad that you ended up becoming who you are. And I was like, heart, you know, like, so you figure it out, you know, and all of those pieces. So in total respect to people who do advertising, it's just, it wasn't for me. And it probably isn't going to help us, you know, help people get healthy on that part. Yeah. All right. So in our twenties, we went back to school to be a dietitian, but were you disappointed by what you learned? You know, you had now worked with someone in integrative medicine. And so you probably went straight from school into integrative medicine, but kind of what happened between there? No, not the, not the case. Tell Tell us how you got there. Yeah. So I ended up, and there was a stint there where I worked for the Kaiser Family Foundation. So I first went to nonprofit and I was like, I'm going to take what I've learned and I'm going to help people get healthier by working at the nonprofit who had been my client, my pro bono client. So we ran a campaign talking with kids about tough issues, focused on teaching parents to talk to their kids about sexual health early, like earlier. And at that point in time, so this was like 97, 98, I'm going to forget when the Clinton scandal was, but sometime around that time period. And it was like, oh, you have to talk to them when you're like six, right? That was what our research showed. Now it's like in utero and probably before you're pregnant, because there's like so much coming at them around sexual health and identity, you know, and all of this stuff was so early on. But in doing that, I learned about health communication and just how important it was to personalize that information. Here's what happened to me. I then went to school to become a dietitian, and this is disrespect to my education at NYU, but they will stand by it. I quit every, probably every month to month and a half that I was in school to become a dietitian because everything was the antithesis of personalization. So it was 
If you have IBS, whether you're constipated or diarrhea, like here's what you should be doing. Here's how many calories a person should have. You figure out somebody's BMI and then you make this recommendation. And then there were like sort of random pictures of like a brown person or a woman or a, you know, black person, like whatever. And I was like, what is this? Like, this isn't what I want to be doing. And so I got some very smart advice by a lot of people along the way who were like, just keep doing what you're doing right now to get your degree so that you can compete in the medical system, but also know that dietitians, especially at that time, didn't garner a lot of respect. And it was, you're going to have to come in and show them what's different and how you're going to do this better. And so I came in in that way. And that's an interesting thing when you're in your late twenties or like thirties, you know, at that point to say, I'm going to learn all this stuff for a test, but then I want to go unlearn it to practice, you know, differently in that way. Probably what was really a great opportunity for me within that space was that I then went to Hollywood. So I went to Los Angeles to do my internship at County Hospital and I had clients. So County Hospitals is the hospital that ER was built off of, right? So kind of that craziness, it's the old hospital. And that was my day job where we had people, they had no insurance. We had, you know, we also had at the time, I think it was the first Iraq war or it was the Iraq, I can't remember which war, but we had, you know, we were training the, you know, so we were training teams there. We had people from fire, we had people from all over the world. I was seeing absolutely everything, but the only money that I was making was from Hollywood actors and actresses and entertainment folks who wanted to hire me for help with their nutrition. So it was this like super bizarre, like I'm helping people and doing these other pieces. You start to realize in there, it does not matter what somebody's day job is or even what they have access to from a food standpoint. We all have digestive systems. And when you start to understand how you assess a digestive system and you know what it needs, you really start to understand personalization, you know, then you have to work with them on that, you know, and that does depend on their lifestyles. So it really took me through to that to figure out a place for me to play. And I'm obviously oversimplifying it, but to play in that space. And then I will tell you at the time, nobody was talking about nutrition the way that we're talking about it today. So my job was to convince doctors and their patients to care about their nutrition. Whereas today people quote unquote care about their nutrition or understand the importance of it as it relates to a disease. But there's a lot of debate about how we should then offer, you know, what is better nutrition Mm -hmm. At the time, it was very much awareness and there were no blogs. There was no social media. I was the only dietitian pretty much doing TV in Los Angeles and in New York. So it was like your New York was more, you know, there was obviously people doing Today Show and things like that. But I think in that way, it was just a different time in terms of the type of information. Today, we're in a completely different space with just so much information and so many other factors that it's kind of hard to even think about that time period and take things, you know, forward from that. Yeah. Mm. So I do want to know like the transition from you, I think, working essentially in private practice, doing media appearances, et cetera, into the better nutrition program. But you know, you mentioned something that I really want to harp on, which is this information overload. And so the antidote for that is personalization and really questioning. And you know, and a lot of times in functional medicine, we do a lot of testing, but you and I are the same feeling that you can learn a lot from people's symptoms and in-depth questioning which is something that you've spent some time developing. And actually, I'd love to like give some service to talking about how that happened before we get into talking about magnesium or whatever else we want to talk sure. about is like, so then you're in private practice and how did you decide, Hey, I'm really good at developing questionnaires to help people like sure. evaluate their stuff. Sure. <laughs> um, tell us, bridge that together for us because it's just fun to hear about. It's fun for me. It's fun for me to hear about. Hopefully everyone else is enjoying it as well. 
Well, and I hope so. And I try to go quickly through some of this stuff. So, or just put me at 1.5 and, you know, we'll, we'll cruise through it uh, as you're listening. But so two things, one, going back to school uh, to learn about something you were super passionate about. Like I was front row and center and I was the girl that was like, but why, but why, but why? My mom will also share that was probably me as a child as well. So I had a lot of that, like I always wanted to know. And that happens with my patients too. I'm like, wait, but why, but why, but why? And that I think a lot in functional medicine or now that we talk about root cause, a lot of root cause gets tied up into like, well, I really want to know, is it that you've got H. pylori or that you have, you know, acid reflux, like, or, you know, something like that. And I'm like, well, I also want to know, like, why do you not do this? And why do you do this? Like, I want to know, you know, why is it that, you know, when I talk about vegetables that you're, you know, you only have these two or three that you really like, or these other pieces. And so it, for me, it's really important. If somebody comes to me with a weight or a skin or a health goal, I want to like really get to know there, but why, because that's going to be how I, I hope this is the okay word to use. It's how I manipulate them into understanding, like we got to get in there and we got to disrupt things. You know, we have habits and how do we break open habits? I've got to show them and maybe it's a little manipulative, but like, I want to show them how they can be more successful. And I think the number one antidote to information. So I refer to, I think one of the greatest epidemics of our time that is really affecting our health is what I call infobesity. And it's just too much information. And I want to be really clear. It's just like, fats, there are healthy fats or less healthy fats. There's healthy information. There's less healthy information. I don't care. We have too much of it. And the information is really what stands in stark contrast to action. So we are keeping people from actually being successful because they think they need more information or they grab information. So I actually think for all of us, less information, so much better. And then in addition, when we actually look at what information will be useful for us, first of all, where is it coming from? So I have this exercise that I have people do with a dartboard and it's like, you know, the outer rim is like, you don't know me at all, but like, I wish I needed the same things as Jennifer Gardner, you know? So like, I, you know, the outside is like the ad that she does or what she writes in People Magazine that she does that she didn't even write, you know, or whatever. And then, you know, the very bullseye is them working with you as a practitioner where you're actually saying, hey, today, I know all of this information about you and I know your why, right? And so most of us don't get our information in our bullseye, which is really problematic. And we need to get more information in our bullseye. And then from there, we turn around and we say, hey, I'm not going to tell you anything else. I'm going to show you. So where I came up with quizzes, and I've actually been using quizzes in my practice for 20 years. I just used to handwrite them. And then I would also use them once I got, I had these really bad like Excel spreadsheets and Word documents and things that were not helpful for me. And certainly probably not that easy for my practitioners or for my patients to fill out, but I found them really helpful. And I also shared them with their referring practitioners, which was really important to my business, that to my business growth on that part, because everyone was kind of on the same team is that when I would show them where they are, then they would allow them to make choices. So for example, it's not my job to judge if you're deciding to try keto. I can talk to you about what keto is and isn't, and that's going to be helpful. But if you just say to me, hey, I'm keto, my response is going to be, okay, so I want to see within your keto, so Christo's keto plan, that we have a way to deliver your body enough of and the right the nutrients that it needs to run better today while not giving it stuff that's going to irritate, overwhelm, and disrupt it. That's my definition of better nutrition. So within that space, I can turn around and do something like a magnesium quiz. And I can say, hold on for a second. 
I want to know, are you getting in enough magnesium to turn off the stress response? And if you're not eating these foods because they're all carbohydrates or you're really reducing the amount you're getting in, well, I can introduce you to cacao and hemp seeds and these other pieces. But then I can also turn around and say, we may need to supplement as well. And then we can look at what the right supplement options might be as a way to meet your body's total needs and do it that way. And so the way that quizzes became, I really just refer to it. It's a system for better assessment. It's for, it's really that personalization. The way that came about is I actually have been paid a lot of money by industry, a lot of money. Because remember, early on, I saw that experts got paid a lot of money. I was like, I want to make a lot of money. So I was paid a lot of money by a magnesium company for about 10 years to go out there and talk about magnesium. And the thing is, I love the collaboration because magnesium had changed my life. I love the product. And I was like, you are paying me to do what I want to do, which is just educate everybody on these benefits. However, I hit a point where I grew really tired of sharing number one, 70% of Americans don't get enough magnesium. And number two, the answer is to take a supplement. Why isn't the answer to eat dark chocolate? Why isn't the answer to maybe change your dairy milk to cashew milk? Like, why isn't the answer to eat a whole grain instead of a highly refined grain, right? And why isn't it that we're not asking and showing people how to do that, you know, for each of them as, as individuals? And when I kind of called myself out on my own thing of like, oh, you just don't want to conclude everything with, and there's a great supplement and use one serving and use it at night or whatever. I realized that there was an opportunity to show, to help practitioners show their patients what those supplement recommendations would be, which is why am I making that recommendation? And here's the thing that's super important today in this information sharing space, the type of marketing that happens today is we're being like, it's fake personalization. So you go online and there's a supplement company that's going to do a quiz. They're not getting your doctor involved or your dietitian involved or anything else like that. And they're going to do things like, are you a vegan or are you a woman over 40 or do you exercise a lot? You know, and then they're going to prescribe you a supplement. And they haven't even asked any questions about what did you eat? What did you not eat? What's your poop like? Are you drinking? Like, what is your stress like? You know, any of these other pieces. And so what I realized is in order for practitioners to effectively compete today, which is how people get and stay healthy, we actually have to tee them up with the resources where they can do true personalization, which is not the stuff that's being sold you know, by all of these companies. That was a long way around to a very specific question that you asked, but that's how I got into doing quizzes today as a part of, hey, I can show you where you are. And then I can also show you three months from now where you are vis-a-vis when we started, but also three months from now, you might be in a totally new place because maybe you sprained your ankle or it's a new season or now you're pregnant or, you know, whatever. And so we can do that reassessment and we don't make assumptions about where you are and what your body needs. You make me wonder as you kind of got into questionnaires and assessments, if you ever kind of did side-by-side blood test next to nutrient assessment and what you found. Yeah. I love this question. So the answer is yes and no. So here's the one of the things. We know that today insurance and just access and other things makes it really challenging for us to get necessarily the, the kind of and the frequency of lab tests that we would need. I love labs, especially when I can get the kinds of labs that I want. Like, so I don't want a CBC to tell me that you have low iron to then have you diagnosed as iron deficient anemic 
And for somebody to tell you, your doctor to tell you to take an iron supplement, because I'd like to look at your sed rate or your CRP. I'd like, love to look at inflammation. I'd love to look at ferritin. I'd love to look at TIBC, UIBC, and all these others. And our dear colleague, Ayla Barmer has really helped me with that one on our iron evaluation. And especially with, you know, just with pregnant women, just saying like, oh, every pregnant woman needs X amount of iron. You're like, that's the most unpersonal thing at a really time where personalization would be really key. So it's not necessarily a lab and an assessment. It's we can do the combo of the two, but we could also turn around without that lab and we could turn around and we could say, hey, let me look at your iron intake. Are you getting in these foods? Are you also getting in vitamin C foods? Are you getting in zinc? Have you like many people today because of COVID increased your intake of zinc, which can compete with iron and maybe, you know, be problematic in, in that regard. And do you have any of these symptoms or do you have any of these diseases or, you know, any of these other things? So in the absence of having labs, I can also get some really good information that also may make me more strategic about when and what kinds of labs I want to test, which may also make me as a practitioner who uses certain labs where somebody has to pay for them more strategic in what I have you pay for and when. And then there are just certain things like a rainbow, like I don't need labs and there aren't any labs that are going to tell me, are you doing a better job of getting in a rainbow? But yes, like, is it going to come out looking at your inflammation? Is it going to come out in your vision? Is it going to come out in your brain? You know, all of these other things. So it really, when we compare nutrient assessment and labs next to each other, there's absolutely a role for them together, but there's also an opportunity to do total nutrition assessment before you do labs or as a follow-up to labs. So if I know my vitamin D was a certain place and I'm not going to be able to retest my vitamin D for a bit, I'm not going to know just from a nutrient quiz where my vitamin D is. Like I'm not making that up. I'm going to, I need a lab to know that. Like you're not going to learn on that part, but you are going to be able to see, really understand if I do look at that lab and then I see that their numbers aren't going up the way that I wanted them to go up, then I can actually look at some of their answers on that vitamin D assessment. And I can turn around and say, oh, this is probably directionally what I need to explore. So it just helps us be better practitioners in a collaborative way, or when we have one or the other on that part. Cool. So let's get into the magnesium spotlight that we want to talk about today, which I didn't know before I chose, I was going through all of the quizzes and I was looking at some of the topics. And I'm like, you know what? Magnesium is not to me that doesn't divide us. It unites us. <laughs> I think, I think there is education around some magnesium that will help us do a better job. And I didn't know that you had kind of spokespersoned for magnesium for 10 years. What years was like, when was that decade? Yeah, 2004. Oh, and like still, like, I mean, I think I stopped being paid by them maybe about like seven or eight years ago, seven, something like that. But I still, I mean, it's, it's ingrained in me. So I am very happy to report that during my time period, along with other practitioners, I'm, you know, and other educators, but we made magnesium the number one selling nutrient in the supplement space, both at Whole Foods, on Amazon, et cetera. Let me just be clear living in 2020, 2021, like we need anything that can turn off our stress response. I mean, I think the key thing for me was I am not going to tell people to reduce their stress and write and actually write that RX, reduce your stress or try to reduce your stress. I'm going to first start working on does your body have what it needs to turn off the stress response? 
And then if you can turn it off, now I can turn around and say, hey, let's kind of look at some of those triggers and how can we work on some of those triggers? But yeah, it's been, it's gosh, it's definitely been over 10 years in terms of that. But about 2004 was when I started working with them. Yeah. You were always on the early front of all the things. (laughs) So we should back up and talk about how stress, the stress response, part of how our body deals with that is dumping magnesium. I'd love for you to open the floor on like, let's talk about symptoms. Well, let's talk about some of the reasons and let's start with symptoms because that's what we really care about, right? Like how do I feel in relationship to this? Let's talk about symptoms of inadequate magnesium, trending, low magnesium, et cetera. Yeah. So this is to borrow from another, I love quoting our super smart colleagues on that part, but Mary Purdy, you know, where she's like, you can have insufficiency without deficiency. And I think, you know, it's so common that everybody says like, oh, everybody's magnesium deficient. No, not everybody's magnesium deficient. If you were magnesium deficient, as I'm going to explain in a moment, really severe things would be happening. Magnesium insufficiency, though, is something that very likely almost all of us are dealing with at some point in our active daily living and experience right now. And I also think that at the national level, when we look at standards, that's part of the problem. We have a very low, we've set a standard, you know, the RDA is about 400 milligrams for an adult. And what we're finding is like, I don't have many adults that get in 400 milligrams and feel like they're in an optimal health standpoint. And the RDAs were really designed to prevent disease. Well, disease associated with magnesium, where it's a direct association is probably, that's not a very normative like diagnosis. Like that's not something that's happening all the time, but insufficiency as a factor in all of this, absolutely. So I use the example I just make, whenever I'm giving a talk like this, I tell people to make a muscle. And then I want you for the rest of the time that I'm talking for you to hold that muscle. Right. And I worked out earlier, so I'm already done. And that's what that is the example of calcium and magnesium. So calcium is our muscle contractor. Magnesium is our muscle relaxer. When the body, which is designed with a stress response, this is why we cannot say that we need to get rid of stress. The body is designed with a stress response. Stress, it plays a very important role for us. And so what we want to think about is excess stress, definitely an issue, but especially that stress response not being turned off. So when the stress response, fight or flight, is triggered, calcium comes into the cell. And if we don't have enough magnesium in there to kick it back out, we stay like this. Now, the problem is most of us are starting off like this, right? Like we're starting off in that tense space. And so that inability for us to relax is what's causing and and or exacerbating so many other problems. The number one problem for me in that one is in a digestive system that's supposed to move everything along and it's a muscle and it goes along like that. If we can't move things along because we don't have the contraction and the relaxation, we're going to have a problem. And in that stress response, remember I told you it's contraction. The other thing that happens in the stressed out state is the body doesn't prioritize digestion because it doesn't care if you are able to digest your food. It cares if you can run away from the lion, because if the lion catches you, you are the lion's food, not you're being able to digest. And so we're shunting attention away from digestion at the same time, we're reducing the effectiveness of the digestive muscle to do, you know, what it needs to do. So just in that description alone, we can see where, 
so many factors, things going the wrong way, us not pooping, us pooping too often, us having bloating, us having gas, us having the added impact of allergies and intolerances and irritation. And then so many other things, you know, that are affected by our digestive health, i.e. our energy levels, our mood. We started off talking about CBD. You know, I think for me as somebody who, as I shared my early story, it was all digestive stuff. And so for the reason magnesium was so helpful for me was it was like, whoa, your system doesn't have what it needs in order to work properly. And now I'm going to give it what it needs to work properly. And that's going to help us with your panic attacks. That's going to help us with your bloating. That's going to help us with, and you go down the list, right? So many times people will say things like magnesium, it's involved in 400 enzyme reactions in the body. And it's so important for you in terms of bone health and all these other things. I honestly don't care if I hear that. That's not going to motivate me. But if you tell me that magnesium turns off and goes through the examples that I just gave you, and I'm like, oh yeah, if there's one thing that could do all of that, sign me up. And now I just want to know how we sign me up because I actually don't need to be eating dark chocolate before I go to bed, but boy, is that magnesium going to help me sleep? So maybe there I want to supplement, but maybe I want the dark chocolate at three o'clock and maybe I'd like the cashew milk, you know, at 10 AM. And that's how I work on getting, meeting my magnesium needs from a personal standpoint throughout the day. Mm, I can't help, but talk about this out loud because who doesn't love chocolate? I mean, some people don't. My friend Katie some doesn't people. like chocolate. I know I have a few of them and I'm still friends with them, but it's hard. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> so I sometimes there's times where I go through phases where I've got chocolate in the freezer, but then you just kind of go to it. It becomes this for a woman. It's a very habitual thing. Like I'm either going to go eat chocolate all the time or not. And there is some hypotheses around having mineral deficiencies and needing chocolate, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I might say mineral insufficiency. So first of all, we definitely know with deficiencies. And when you look at parts of the world where soil quality or just access to certain things, you know, is not available. But I think what we have to look at in our part of the world more often is the really highly processed foods are so depleted, especially in minerals. So one statistic that I was taught by a farmer is that when you take wheat and you turn it into a shaft of wheat, you measure the magnesium, you take the soil, you measure the soil, and then you turn it into white flour, 70% reduction in magnesium. So that's really interesting because forever I was there talking about how 70% of Americans don't get meet their magnesium needs. And I'm like, huh, So there really is a difference if I'm eating that bun or I'm having that pasta or I'm doing all pasta because some pasta can be made from, you know, the the whole grain flour. But if I'm having those products that are highly refined and then, oh, by the way, the government goes back and it fortifies with like folic acid or my favorite calcium. So now I have a higher amount of calcium and I don't have enough magnesium. And I'm like, ah, so it's not actually that calorically we don't have enough access, but we aren't being helped along. And remember I mentioned I've made a lot of money. I still make a lot of money off of interest and, and I'll always disclose anyone that I work with. I always try to, to help companies like be on the right side. You know, you can offer better nutrition and meet people's needs. I think because I started out in a place where I didn't feel that I was capable of doing that, it's probably still a mea culpa for me. And I was working with a, a company and they really wanted to, you know, the keto products, like they're big, right? It's an almond milk company. And they're like, oh, we wanted, you know, a couple of our creamers. We're going to make keto creamers, et cetera. And I was like, okay, you want to change the game because they talk a big nutrition game. 
You want to change the game instead of putting in your creamer calcium, put magnesium in there because I struggle every day to help somebody who's keto meet their magnesium needs. And if I now got to say to them, have your coffee, have your creamer, have your magnesium. Wow. I would be so excited. Guess what is not in the keto creamer that's on the market. I didn't win there because everybody else has calcium because they're thinking like, oh, dairy, it's a good source of calcium. So, oh, creamer, I've got to, you know, and it's just, there's a lot we have to break up there, right? In the food development, you know, and that piece of it. And that's also why it's really important when we're as practitioners, or if you are an individual, it's really important that you take a leadership role in your own nutrition in sharing your total nutrition and saying, hey, this is all the stuff that I'm taking in in a day or or over a week or over a month or whatever. And I want to show it to you because I don't want you to just tell me to take X. I want us to see, is that really what's better for me in this space? And I'll tell you what, it takes a lot of work to be empowered to have that conversation. So find a practitioner that's welcoming that and wants that partnership if you can. I know when I moved, so I was in DC most recently before moving back to Columbus, and I have very good access to healthcare. My dad worked at the university here. And so they're like, we welcome you. You know, he was a physician, et cetera. But I and my practitioner there is really good diagnostician, but he, every time I came in there, kept telling me I needed a calcium supplement. And I was like, he's like, you know, you're a white woman, your age. I was like, so first of all, do you see these muscles? Like, you know what I'm doing? And then I was like, and also have I told you about like, and then I took him my calcium evaluation. I was like, I exceed the daily, like if I'm not careful and part of it is I love to have non-dairy milk. And he's like, you don't have dairy. Like you're going to, your calcium is going to be low. I'm like, my calcium is high because of my non-dairy because they all fortify with like, and it just blew my mind to have that conversation. And I left and I said, you know what? He can give me recommendations. I'm not going to follow them. I am going to see him when I need an exam or if I need blood, you know, or that kind of thing. And I found somebody else to work with me on putting this plan together. And my hope is to both empower the patient with these kinds of quizzes and assessments to see that and share that with a practitioner, but also to make it easier for them, the practitioners to collaborate, you know, and be able to look at it that way. Mm, That's a good story. And I forget about the whole calcium push and there's a lot Mm -hmm. of push for this, but too much calcium can displace magnesium further, right? Mm -hmm. So let's talk about how do we know that we're getting enough magnesium in food? So you talked about the RDA, the recommended daily allowance to prevent disease, which usually we're like, eh, that's like kind of the bare minimum, 400 milligrams of magnesium per day. So let's talk about how we know if we're getting enough magnesium in food and how much should a person have? Yeah, good question. And I love bringing this up because especially if you're a mom of a young lady, especially around the time that maybe she is going through puberty and these other pieces, one of the greatest gifts that you can give to yourself and the rest of your household is actually to work with your child on their magnesium intake, especially around the time of her getting her period on that piece. And a big part of that is also because what happens before you're getting your period, right? That muscle tension. And so we want to make sure that there's that muscle relaxation. So with all of that, you know, on that part, when we talk about how do I know, I use the RDA as a starting point. Our quiz uses the RDA as a starting point. And then we ask a series of questions. You know, are you somebody who's sitting? Are you somebody who's doing HIIT workouts? Are you somebody who is, would rank your stress on a your scale of one to 10, a seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, you know, or these kinds of things. Do you notice changes in your bowels around the different times in your cycle? And do you maybe suffer from cramps? Do you suffer? 
suffer from cramps from a workout standpoint, like, and we'll ask these different questions. And then that helps us really as a practitioner, that helps me evaluate your needs to say, Hey, I know this RDA exists, but I think there's probably a reason for us to explore a higher amount with you. And if we start off with a food and maybe a supplement combination, we're very unlikely to get to a place where we have at risk for an excess. Now, the thing about magnesium is excess of magnesium, and it also depends on it from a supplement standpoint versus a food standpoint. I've actually never seen an excess of magnesium from a food standpoint. Like, so I would just be surprised, but the supplement standpoint, when that happens, especially if we're using more of a citrate form, typically you'll just end up with loose stools. So we all get that messaging, right? Or you might be like, wow, I'm exhausted and I'm going to go lay down, which is just a total added bonus, right? I'm like, woo, I'm like all relaxed on that part. So in that way, we can get a little bit of a marker as to how somebody, where they are in terms of that. From a food standpoint, I really like to work on as a baseline, could we actually meet our RDA from a food standpoint? Could we meet that 400 milligrams, 440 for, you know, depending on male, female, et cetera, and then play with either increasing through food or adding a supplement to start to see, you know, depending on what you have going on. Because we also know that the role of, we've talked about magnesium as it relates to that muscle contraction, digestive health, but there's a lot to do too with our neurotransmitters and really looking at how we emotionally feel. We know that when we're stressed, that could be, and if, even if it's a good stress, there could be some hyper focus that's happening and that focus is tension. And then we have to relax from it. So I worked with a number of pro athletes, actors, et cetera. And after a performance, it was like, They couldn't come down, right? It was like the system was so much like this. So how do we get you to be able to relax in that part? It was really important to look at magnesium along with maybe using liquid nutrition because the system needs to be able to absorb it. And it's in this contracted state where remember with stress, your digestive system isn't getting the full attention. So we start to, you can see how personalized this is, but how important it is to basically say, Hey, where am I getting the magnesium from? Am I doing it with consistency? Am I getting close to that 400 milligrams? And then really good as a a next step to evaluate your calcium and see, Hey, where am I vis-a-vis my calcium and my magnesium relationship, you know, to kind of see on that part as well. So it's, um, I probably don't have a specific answer for you on that, you know, in terms of what someone needs, it's really about, in my mind, consistently assessing those needs, especially when we start to look at what somebody is working on, on an individual basis. Let's talk about a list of magnesium rich foods to help people kind of understand if they're getting some sources of magnesium. But while we talk about that, the next question would be, let's talk about cofactors for getting magnesium into the cell because you can take a supplement and you may not absorb it. So let's talk about cofactors after we talk about rich sources of magnesium in the diet. And, you know, rich sources is, I mean, we really do have an unfortunate situation. We have not taken good care of our soil. And so our soil needs to be magnesium rich for plants to be able to get that magnesium in. So it is, it's plant-based. We're not eating animals for their magnesium intake. So I do, I'll start off, you know, in that space. So thinking about that, and nature is also really interesting because it typically tags magnesium and calcium together. So there are some foods that are just higher in magnesium content as compared to calcium, but many of them deliver both. So things like your greens, for example, which tend to even many of the greens give you a little bit more calcium than I would say magnesium. Nuts and seeds can be very good sources. Some of my favorite, probably because they're just my favorite. So I remember them are things like hemp seeds. I mentioned cashews. I like pumpkin seeds, you know, 
just arrange almonds would be typically a good source, not a great source, but again, it depends on the almond. And then the other part of it would be looking at whole grains, uh, again, noting how the whole grains are grown and, and how they're processed. When I'm talking about the whole grain, I'm talking about actually eating, you know, that grain. And, you know, then I am just a massive fan of cacao in case, you know, we haven't had the chocolate conversation enough. So I think that's, you know, another great place. So when I talk about the quality sources, this is where I get into a, how are we farming? And it is why I tend to look at number one, what's going in and on the seeds and the soil and how is that being farmed? And then at the end of the process, once something's been harvested, what's being done to it? So on the front end, on the harvesting side, I do think, you know, it's there's good research that's been done, especially by the Rodale Institute to show side by side how nutrient retention stays in soil that's been farmed organically, or maybe another term that we're hearing today is regenerative, where we don't see as much of the loss of nutrients based on the pesticides and the herbicides and what's happening in the soil. And then in addition on what's been done to it, if we process something a lot after we actually have that food, then we're often going to see those nutrient losses there, depending on, you know, if you just take whole wheat and then you make it into whole wheat flour and you literally just cut that up, you should still see a good amount of nutrient retention. But if you take that whole wheat and then you process it through to white flour, as I mentioned before, you'll see a significant loss. So lots of great, I mean, there's so many great food options. And what our, the first part of our quiz does is it goes through asking you questions. Do I eat these foods and how much of them? So we can start to see how much we're getting in. Yeah. All right. So cofactors include conclude calcium in nature. I always like to look at how nature is putting things together Mm -hmm. because we should be learning from that. For me, when I'm thinking about minerals and getting into cells, I'm always thinking about the phospholipid layer of the cell. So fatty acids and making sure we see those. Is there anything else you want to think about with cofactors? No, I mean, I think a lot of attention is given to the form of the magnesium. So not so much in the cofactor, but in the form. Uh, So yeah, and before I go there, I think in the cofactor, so first of all, if you don't have healthy digestion, we're not going to get things aren't going to be able to be absorbed. And so that even goes into the supplement space where you may do better with a powder when you're really stressed out or a liquid than you would with a tablet, because you might just not be able to break that part down. So less maybe the cofactor part and more the, how do I make sure that I'm getting it in? You know, we even have people who will rub magnesium oil on their body if they have a site specific inflammation or, you know, tension or, you know, that kind of thing. But I think I'll pivot over to the form. And this is an interesting one. Again, I have a lot of earned cynicism when you've been behind the scenes with the food and the supplement industry for as long as I have, there's earned cynicism. Like we see that people are talking about their thing as different because they just want a point of differentiation for their product to sell as it being better than something. So, you know, you'll see things like, you know, the chia seed companies will be beating up on flaxseed and they'll be like, ours is such a better source of this, you know, et cetera. And we're like, there's a great world where you get in both chia seeds and flaxseeds. You know, it's like, we don't need to, you know, but we want to recognize the value of each of them. So within magnesium, there's probably like two tiers or maybe three tiers within that. So one part of it is there are things that are just not that well absorbed. And that's the magnesium oxide that is it's cheap so that, you know, people were trying to make it accessible, but it's something that it's a form that just isn't as well absorbed. And especially if we add on top that when you're trying to take magnesium in to address stress, digestion, you know, these other things, you're already having an absorption, you know, for many of us, we're already having challenges there. So I often look at that as wasted money, even though it's inexpensive. And so that, you know, there's a challenge in there. Magnesium citrate 
is a form that is targeted a lot for helping specifically with digestion, with constipation, with, you know, hey, we're going to pull, have that citrate, pull some water in and help flush some things out. And I love that as like a base option. I'm a really big fan of blends because I also think it's like, I don't want just one nut or one seed. I want like the whole variety, right? So then the other part of it is the citrate is not going to be as effective at the blood brain barrier and that neurotransmitter as maybe something that has a glycine. So like the magnesium glycinate, and then we could just keep going. There's magnesium malate and three and eight and like all of these different types. And that's where your practitioner, if they have a particular rationale for why they're recommending a certain product to you, you want to have that conversation versus saying, I can find it cheaper on Amazon because there could be a really cheap option and it could be exactly perfect for you, but you want to make sure that you're getting the form as well as the nutrient, as well as the quality that's going to deliver better for you. So I think that to me is really the form in both like the tablet powder, like that version of the form, and then the type of the nutrient that you're also getting in is important. I'm yeah. glad you brought up the liquid versus powder because I do have people sometimes where I like to start them on a powder or a liquid yeah. really taste. If something tastes good, we're even more likely to be more compliant with it. And I'm just a normal human. I always say that when I'm talking, I'm like, I'm just a normal human. I want to enjoy all the things. I don't want it to be unenjoyable, but I think it's, it makes a lot of sense to talk about things in a capsule form. Cause sometimes there's just too many capsules. So um, many I'm capsules. also, I'm also like a big efficacy and efficiency for absorption, et cetera. I'm a fan of blends as well, man. I haven't had anyone on three and eight for a minute, but it is really lovely for some people to yes. cross their blood and brain barrier for like brain clarity. Occasionally mm-hmm. it can be really nice if you've had some neuroinflammation or concussion mm-hmm. history, but I tend to to lean more toward malate and glycinate blends that are very nice. And citrate, when things make you poop, you know, just think about it. It's part of the reason it's been helping you poop is partially due to it's not being super well absorbed and it's just kind of helping move things out. You brought up oil. Actually, I want to talk to someone who's been in magnesium world for a long time. How often did it come up about oil or magnesium lotions kind of almost burning someone's skin? Yes. And I will also say one of my favorite things about powders is you mix them in water and we all may be challenged at different points just to get in some extra water. So it's like, Ooh, like if I remember, if I love the magnesium, cause it helps me relax, but it helps me also get in some water. I'm also reminded that I'm escorting other nutrients into the cells or I'm removing waste products. And so it's like, it's kind of helping and all of that. I will tell you this for me, for most of the years of magnesium, nothing on oils. It was never, never something that I was focused on, never really looked at that application. I think the popularity of magnesium then was like, oh, you know what we can, one of the reasons people are using magnesium is like the old Epsom salt bath where it's, I just had a workout. I've got this pain. I've got this other thing. So instead of just doing the bath side of it, what if I was to do, you know, be able to use an oil and and we saw that. I am, have a ton of concern about oils that we put on the body. You're the skin expert, but that is not, I can give you personal and anecdotal where I think very well-intentioned companies decide to put, you know, essential oils in there that should not be directly applied to your skin. And you put them on in the name of the magnesium and you end up with a burn or an irritation. I also have, you know, skin oils. What's beautiful about them is like, if I just got out of the shower and I rub it on, it can trap in that water and that moisture. What's not been great about it is, and I have a lot of people who, depending on whatever is going on from their health, butt acne, back acne, you know, skin irritations, things like that. 
that. And you actually can trap in things and not have that, you know, the moisture layer while intentionally, you know, we're intending for that to be helpful is not helpful there. So I personally have not been prescriptive with oils. I'm never going to be bothered if somebody says to me, Hey, I've been using this magnesium oil. We check it out. We don't have any of the issues I was just describing. And they say, I want to continue with that. The other part about it is when it goes in that way, it's circumventing digestion. So there's advantages to that, but there's also disadvantages to that. I want to make sure that I'm getting, you know, we've talked about it for digestive health. We've talked about it for blood brain bearer, these other pieces. So it really comes down to what are you using? Why? And who are you? And then, you know, we get into, is this something that's successful for you or not? Yeah. Okay. So we've talked about the Ashley story. We've talked about symptoms. And I think in general, we oversimplify this and we just kind of use the most familiar terms, but it is good to talk about insufficiency versus deficiency. We talked about calcium being a contractor, magnesium being a relaxer, but these nutrients showing up in nature together a lot. Although we fortify and we supplement with calcium like crazy, whereas magnesium, we really are dumping under the stress response. Some symptoms that we see very commonly, but we didn't talk about have to do with some of that muscle contraction, relaxation, like twitches, like Mm -hmm. restless leg syndrome, like Mm -hmm. the eye twitch, you know, those are like, I'm going to say I'm pretty deficient when I've got that going on. I don't know. I'm insufficient. That's a sign. Those are reading those little signs, which, you know, we advocate for let's understand what little signs and symptoms mean in our body and how to address those. Because for a while you brought this up with coffee earlier, there was a time where me drinking a lot of coffee equaled Krista's eye twitching, which do you know, is really obnoxious when your podcast is called the less stress life to have (laughs) stress induced cortisol elevated eye twitches, very obnoxious. I would say magnesium is much slower to replete than it is to deplete. So Mm -hmm. I'll just throw that out there. Like you said, you've never seen an overdose of someone with RDA. And if you are getting too much magnesium now, if it's oxide, that's meant to poop citrate, Mm -hmm. honestly meant to poop. Usually glycinate and malate aren't going to really cause that speedy bowel movements. Not that I haven't seen it, but it's usually not going to be a thing overall. Like you can overdo it, but like, it's not really a big, it's not super dangerous, right? Like the, you're just going to poop. It'd be, it out. You would have to be very intentional about to, in order to overdo, like you would have to say, Oh, she told me to take one tablespoon and I'm taking eight tablespoons and that, you know, and or C, but I think you'd have to be pretty intentional on that part. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. We talked about cofactors. We talked about food sources of magnesium and chocolate, greens, largely nuts and seeds. I didn't mention, you know, I was talking about fatty acids as the phospholipid layer for the cells and getting nutrients like magnesium, especially minerals, all minerals into the cell. But again, seeds are kind of like nature's version of some fatty acids and the magnesium. So that's kind of cool. Magnesium essentially like helps things with relaxation. So menstrual cycles, bowel movements, those are some of the questions on like your magnesium questionnaire. We talked about different forms of magnesium, which I just highlighted again. And we talked about a little bit about topical magnesium. I am a huge fan of topical magnesium in the Mm -hmm. bath form, the oils Mm -hmm. and the sprays. I don't have anecdotal evidence from clients that thing where that seems to be super helpful. And the causes of like stinging and tingling seem to be like our best hypothesis, maybe around pH um, Mm -hmm. is one thing. If you have anything to add to that, cool. What else do we miss about magnesium that we should be sure to cover? You know, I think for me, from a conclusion standpoint with magnesium is really to think about it this way. 
Everything that you just mentioned, we people are consistently identifying and choosing band-aids to address those issues. And before you band-aid something, really look at magnesium. And so to me, magnesium is extremely foundational from an assessment standpoint. Look, minerals just have not had their day the way that vitamins have had. And I think it's, it's coming for us to, un- I know it's coming. We're it's pushing coming it, right? right? I'll tell you, it's been, yeah, we're a lot closer. And I think that's so important for us. So just like you were saying from an eye twitch standpoint or in any of the other stuff, there's so many things that are out there that people will recommend to take and to try. And this is something that why not look at magnesium as part of that? And I think the other one, the really big area that is such a an endemic for us is sleep and the poor quality of sleep and the challenges in sleep and maybe falling asleep, staying asleep, you know, all of these different pieces. And that it, what it really is, is it's a signaling thing of, you know, am I getting, am I signaling my body to turn off and, and be able to relax? And so, yes, you do have to look at, I probably shouldn't be looking at my iPad in bed, but also if I have the magnesium before going to bed, or if I'm gotten to a sufficiency level, maybe not taking a supplement before or whatever, or I'm like you, I mean, some days I'm sitting in the magnesium bath, drinking magnesium and, you know, like, how do I wind down from all this? But if we're doing that, then it may make it easier to do those other behaviors that are better and also see the better outcomes from them. And so that to me is where it all fits in as a picture. So just don't, I think caution, don't discount or not count magnesium as part of a factor in really everything that you're trying to work on. So I, you know, I just really look at it in a foundational role, I think is so important. Yeah. I think we both probably would say, I don't love to over supplement things, but this is one of those nutrients where most people can see a symptomatic relief. Mm-hmm. Even if you're taking citrate form, which is helping people poop, you still see a symptomatic relief yeah. in relaxation. I mean, you do. So it's okay. Yeah. Like, I mean, if we would get some relief, then use it as needed. It and feels good to poop. It just does. You know what does. I mean? Like, so I think, and the one place I love citrate is especially, I used to do a lot of traveling on planes. And I think that that part there is, you know, that ability to have that relaxation and keep the system functioning so that, you know, I don't have to turn to coffee or whatever when I get off and I'm able to feel more functional more quickly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I want to say is that a lot of micronutrient insufficiencies are treated with band-aids. So I have a lot of feelings about that. And maybe I mm-hmm. should be doing more micronutrient spotlights, but. Ashley, where yes. can people find you online? Yeah. So wherever you're playing, I'm there to play. Like I feel like the micronutrient spotlight for is just, it needs to happen because people are doing things so wrong, you know, in that space and people meaning also practitioners and systems. And when we look at, we didn't even get into medications and interactions and all of that stuff, people can find me. So I do run the better nutrition program. I have an incredible team there, so they may not specifically find me or they may find me. It just kind of depends, but all social media. We're at the Better Nutrition Program. If you're a practitioner who's interested in our tools, thebetternutritionprogram.com. If you're interested in finding a practitioner, I recommend Krista, but you are more than welcome to see other practitioners that we have uh, through that part. And my Ashley Koff, Ashley Koff approved stuff is uh, also on social media and you can find me there and I'll respond to my DMs. I'm on Clubhouse, you know, wherever we play these days. But I just love this podcast. Thank you for doing it because deep diving into these, forget about me sharing my story, but deep diving into these 
conversations and taking something that's either been oversimplified or is complex and needs help being personalized really allows us to not treat people like they're either being talked down to or that something's too complicated for them to access and be empowered in. And I just feel so empowered when I listen to your podcast in terms of being able to say, oh, these are steps I need to take or things for consideration. And now I have resources you know, to chat with my practitioner about. So thank you for what you do. Oh, thanks for the nice podcast review there, verbal podcast review. Maybe (laughs) we'll extract that out. Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) All right. Thanks for coming on today. We'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Sharing and reviewing this podcast is the best way to help us succeed with our mission to help integrate the best of East and West and empower you to raise the bar on your health story. Just go to reviewthispodcast.com forward slash less stressed life. That's reviewthispodcast.com forward slash less stressed life. And you'll be taken directly to a page where you can insert your review and hit post.